Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with a handful of ideas that come out of our value screens here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news. But our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, it's August 28th, 2012. We've done a uh, large-cap, low-PE screen this week, and we have four tremendous value ideas that come out of that screen. Tremendous because they're large-cap. Yeah, or medium, I guess. But anyway, before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show's for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional portfolio managers and analysts during the week, but here on the show, it's after hours, we're kicked back, and uh, some of the normal exhaustive due diligence we do uh, during the week in terms of looking at fundamental uh, information, talking to management teams, reading anything, just to throw that out. We're doing none of that here on the show. We're just kicked back after work. Third, and our lawyers say we should remind you that we do not have your best interests in mind. We may accidentally recommend you do the opposite of what's best for you, so certainly do your own work. And fourth, we've been drinking. Not as tonight. much as not as much as usual because uh, yeah. your partner came in and yeah. hogged some of that. He bottle. did do that, so we're we're actually a little so more the, coherent this week than normally. If the show's know. not as funny. It's because we spent yeah. the last three hours not only sharing our booze but talking, talking about business, kinked utility curves. Yeah, and, and if your behavioral science, and if and your stuff. utility curve is kinked, see a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, see all our caveats, uh, bios, pictures that were taken uh, of us in unflattering poses at www.thevalueguys.com. So, we're back. It's been about, I guess we've been off for about three or four weeks. We've had vacations. We've been to the coast, the other coast. We've been up and down forests, mountains, valleys, etc. And... uh, and so, I don't know, Mo, it's good to be back. What do you yeah, think? well, I, I spent the vacation with my wife, so I, I did not spend much time with any other one percenters. It was just the two of us, and since we're both one percent, I suppose that would make us two percent. So hmm. there are no... Or are you each one half percent? We, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Hmm. Do but, they check that at the border? Uh, no, when no one asks us. No one asks you. No, no, no. It's where you live, but they don't want to know what percent you are. Hmm. So there are no... There are no uh, Quips this week from inside the one percent. That starts because you were just with each other. We were just with each other, but I've got a whole series of meetings this week with more one percenters, and trust me, there'll be stories. Yeah, I met a couple one percenters while I was away at the beach. Any good quips? Uh, Not really. One guy said, "Glad I'm here." That's all I have. You know, was with the family, and I like it when I like it when I hear. Every time I fly commercial to uh, Miami, I feel like I've saved (laughs) $30,000. We did not hear that. Um, Okay, well, maybe we should just get right to the show then. Yeah, and and just something to look forward to next week. We promised the creation of the Valmo Ratio. You've been working on that? No. Good. (laughs) Me neither. But that's a that's something to look forward to next week. Is it a quotient or a ratio? I don't know if it's a quotient or a ratio. Maybe people should write in about that. I don't know. What's more effective? I, you know, you told me there are people out there that are tracking our performance. 
There's people that track. They they put up stuff. There's people that listen to the show. Amazingly, I thought it was just our our families, but <coughs> yeah. Well, I um, tell you, when 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 you ran the screen, I was surprised by something. So maybe you can give me an overview. Sure. Um, large cap, right? Yeah. Good so evaluation. this week, for new listeners, what we've been doing is we run value screens here in the shop. We have a little value shop. And uh, we're just sharing them with with the, with the audience. This is like hot off the press. We just run these screens. We haven't run them through our Cracker Jack analyst team. It's just you and me after work drinking. Right. Uh, but nevertheless, this week, we try to mix it up a little bit. We ran a... Here's the screen. Market cap over $5 billion. Debt to equity less than 30%. And... A price-earnings ratio on next year's estimate less than 15. That's so, it. So why do you think we had such a disproportionate number of energy companies? There were a lot in there. They've got the low PEs. They've got high dividends. They've got good price action in the last five years. They seem like they've got a pretty straightforward business model. Yeah. So how do these guys end up in a value screen? You know, I don't know exactly, other than uh, oil prices are toward the high end of their historical ranges, although on a on an inflation-adjusted basis right now, um, gas prices are actually below the peaks back in 1980. All right. I just was listening to a guy talk today about this. And energy prices, historically speaking, on an inflation-adjusted basis are not that high. But uh, I do think that some of the concern is that when we have a, a new government here in January, which it couldn't come soon enough for me, thankfully, um, they might revisit some of the uh, subsidies that are going to the oil companies because, you know, tax fairness and all that. And frankly, I'm in favor of a more transparent tax code so that you don't have all these, you know, congressionally sponsored incentives for little industries that, I mean, these guys, none of them took economics. Why don't we just have a tax rate and let the businesses figure it out? But honestly, I think that right now the oil companies are in the crosshairs for having um, some of their benefits reduced, and that might explain it. It also could be that Europe's going into a recession. People believe the United States is going into a recession, and so people may believe that oil prices are going to be moving down a lot, and so you know they're cheap on trailing earnings but may not be as cheap on future earnings. That's well, all I can think of. Well, I'll tell you what, our, our, our first stock, which is Chevron, ticker symbol is, is CVX, couldn't be sending a, a stronger, more powerful message to, to shareholders because last year in 2011, the dividend was you know $3.09. And, and in 2012, they, they raised that dividend to $3.53. Yeah. And if you look, that you know the dividend's been growing at 9% a year. Yeah. And they've had positive price action in every one of the last four years. Average, the average stock's gone up 9%. Average dividend's gone up 9%. These guys have got expanding EBITDA margins from 16 to 22%. Yeah. That looks healthy. Um, and they got zero debt. Yeah. Well, they've also, to your point, Mo, they've expanded the dividend this year about 15%, which is off the charts from what they've been doing yeah. historically. So what is, what is that telling you? They don't have any debt. They're clearly trying to send a signal. Now, you know, when you're when your company this big, you've got lobbyists in Washington, and uh, if there really is a threat that you're going to see loss of subsidies, I don't think you send that kind of a, a message to, to, unless you're pretty disingenuous, which uh, managements have been known to, to do that. But um, I don't think you send that kind of a powerful signal to, to 
your shareholders, the dividend signal, and that's probably the strongest signal that a management can send to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, or the other thing can be, you know what, we might lose our tax subsidies, but it's not going to matter. Right. You know, we can still, we're still a healthy company. They're putting up 22% EBITDA margins, 17% EBIT margins, an 11% return on assets, 18% return on equity. And I'd say, just so listeners understand, the screen we did came up with 59 names, and I just ran it in Yahoo Finance this week. Very easy to do. It's free. And Mo and I, at great personal expense, went through each of those 59 names to come up with the four that we want to talk about, and Chevron uh, was one of those. And it's just, uh, you know, again, it's needs, not wants. Okay, so... Um, energy use per capita continues to move higher. Uh, there's a lot of economies that the middle class is growing fast. They're just buying cars, building roads. And so, yes, there could be a recession in Europe next year. There could be a recession in the U.S., although no one's predicting that. But oil use, until they discover an alternative that's uh, you know attractively priced, I think we're on pretty solid footing to predict that oil use per capita is going to continue to grow, and that's a pretty predictable uh, growth path. So that's a that's a nice uh, a fundamental that that sort of un- underscores the, the attraction of this industry. Okay, explain something to me because I, I I'm just noticing this, and I haven't had time to really figure out where what's driving this in the numbers. Yeah. But if you look up here at earnings per share, yeah, um, we know that the price action has been up nine percent. We know dividends have been up nine percent, but earnings per share are actually coming down a hair. Um, yeah. shares outstanding have been flat, but share, you know, uh, uh, earnings per share have gone from three forty four to seven uh, twelve seventy three to twelve forty eight. So there's been a, a, a two year decline in earnings per share. And I'm not, you know, margins are expanding. It's not an increase in debt. Um, well, EBIT's look here. Going up. What's, EBIT's what's, up, net yeah. income's down. So we don't have all the detail here. And frankly, I've done as little work as possible. Kicked up their depreciation, but, you think? Well, I think either one of two things. Either uh, dep- either interest expense is up a little bit, but well, based that on doesn't what, make no sense debt. right now. I understand. Right. Or uh, it could also be that the tax the tax rate has ticked up. As some of so they're their, already experiencing some of those losses. Well, or, or as people, you know, the gas price is causing people to actually drill a little less in gas because the price came down so much. It could be that they took some production out of gas and then some of the subsidies they might get for drilling come out because, in fact, they've reduced the drilling in natural gas. I mean, these are interesting questions we don't actually know the answer to here. On but the it's show. certainly based on, on um, the five-minute analysis. It looks like something I'd... Take a look at it. Well, it's the dividend is, uh, you know, needs not wants, right? And right. there's a lot of uncertainty. The dividend is three point two percent. The dividend per share is three fifty on two million shares. That's about what seven million in dividend. Net income is twenty five million, yeah. so it's covered quite a bit. But there's no history of cutting the dividend. So again, when you look at the return at your bank versus Chevron. Uh, now, again, we're just after work kicking back. The 10K for Chevron is going to have information about the uh, the reserves, the proven, the unproven reserves. You can put valuations on that. There should be a little bit of work done on this in terms of what are their reserves, but my guess is Chevron has a lot of reserves, although, again, I don't know that. 
um, they uh, they undoubtedly are uh, are going to continue to grow because the world's need for energy is going to continue to grow. Their margins are very healthy. Their debt is low, and you get a dividend. So again, how much do you need to know on this one to have an interest in? It? Yeah, no, I uh, I put that. Top of my list to, to, to take a look at. Now, we contrasted this. i just throw out quickly. Another one that came through our screen nicely was Occidental Petroleum, OXY. And their EBITDA margins, uh, EBIT margins, net margins, are all dramatically higher than Chevron. Um, they appear to have uh, a couple differences. One is they're one-tenth the size. Uh, they also had an earnings... Rather, I should say a revenue decline expected for this year, whereas Chevron's expecting a slight improvement. Uh, return on assets at Occidental is actually lower than at Chevron, even though the margins are much higher, so they're not getting as much leverage out of their assets. But, you know, their dividends have been growing faster. Look at the dividend growing faster, growth. but then the dividend yield itself is a, a little, little lower. Bit more, yeah. So. You know, we went with Chevron on this uh, comparison, but, you know, Occidental looks pretty interesting, too. As does the whole sector, because it was overweighted. The whole energy sector was overweighted when we ran that kind of yeah. screen. So that tells you it's worth taking a look at the whole sector. Yeah. Pick, pick your own names. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, that's the first one. Uh, next up, Corning. Uh, GLW is the ticker on Corning. Now, Corning is a manufacturer of specialty glass and ceramics. Forty percent of their revenue uh, is in display technologies, which is, you know, big screen TVs. And they, you know, pretty well, I think, lead the market in, in big screen TV glass. Unfortunately, the demand for big screen TVs, because it ramped so quickly a few years ago, has tapered off a little bit. Pricing is under a lot of pressure. And so the stock is down from, uh, looks like, 25 toward 11. But the reason we would look at this as value, guys, is it's 5.6 times EBITDA, it's 8 times earnings, it's 10% debt to cap, they have a 2.6% dividend yield, and these are the guys that famously Steve Jobs went to and found that in their you know, file cabinet, they had you know uh, the formula for something called Gorilla Glass, which is the glass that is now on the front of every iPhone that... Steve Jobs basically browbeated the CEO of Corning into bringing out of the file cabinet and putting in production. And that glass, if you go to the Corning website, they've got a couple amazing videos on how the future could look with this Gorilla Glass with touchscreens built in. And it extends to a lot of industries, including education, but also if you imagine that Gorilla Glass uh, takes the place of every chalkboard, every whiteboard over time, um, then there's obviously a very big market. The company, even with the declines, is putting up a mid-40s gross margin, a 30% EBITDA margin, 25% net margin. Now, their return on assets is pretty low, so their asset utilization isn't what we'd want. And their return on equity is, is 9%. Uh, but, you know, four years ago, it was 45%. So they've had a decline in sales uh, no, I'm sorry, they haven't. They've had a decline in margin right. um, and a decline in the expectation for growth. But, um, you know, I think there's a chance that this Gorilla Glass is going to be on more phones, more brands of phones, and they're going to find other applications. And this company has a history of innovating glass 
where glass meets technology, they've always been an innovator. So, and a so, so to a layman, when you, when you think Gorilla Glass, you just think you think it's just glass you can't break. But really, what what it is is glass that you can. T- it's touch sensitive. It's it's uh it's what you use in your iPhone to hit an icon, and that's what you. You were telling well, me a they, cool story about a blackboard where people. Well, can... again, if you go to their site, they envision, and you got to embed the touch stuff and and all that into it. But they envision a future where Gorilla Glass is basically taking the place of every chalkboard because then professors or whoever's at the front of the room explaining anything to anyone. So there could be a lot of applications in business and government and education. But there's Gorilla Glass instead of a chalkboard, and you're bringing in you know, video, you're bringing in uh, photographs, you're bringing in stuff like that, you're, you're scrolling through things. Um, you have a chance to collaborate with people around the world using cameras. They look like they're in the room. That whole thing recently, I think it was in Las Vegas, where uh, Tupac made an appearance on glass in a holographic form, and you know oh, he's yeah, dead. Yeah. So there's uses for this stuff that really are futuristic in terms of people around the world collaborating and feeling like they're in person, in medical in education. And so I don't know exactly what's going to come, but I can tell you that when you are putting up a 30% EBITDA margin, you've got something pretty proprietary going on. And and I think they've been holding that position for a long time. And it's six times EBITDA. So again, if they don't invent the new thing, how much is really at risk at that type of valuation, Mo? That's well, kind of where I come from. It's, um, it's an interesting thing. I, I know that there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, talk in uh, New York Times and some other uh, non-business periodicals about the millenniums no longer really watching TV. They, they watch the programming content, but they watch it on their iPhones. They watch yeah. it on their computers. And so you could see where the knee-jerk reaction would be, sell a stock they're not selling in, in, the, uh, in the television market. But, and here's a developing theme for today's show, look at what management is trying to say to you with the dividend. For four years, the dividend of this company has been 20 cents. And this year, despite the fact that the stock is off 40% in the last two years, it was down 32% last year, it's down 10% year to date, that's 40%. They increased the dividend 36%. Yeah. Four years that dividend was at 20 cents, and they just raised it to 30. And that's 2.6%. That's a pretty good yield. Now, if you look at the earnings estimates, I mean, first of all, this company's covered by 24 guys. So as we've said on past shows, are we really going to have some unique view of this that's not in the marketplace? Yeah, uh, probably, yeah, because those 24 are. guys are idiots. They don't know what they're doing, right. of course. So that goes without saying. But I'll say that those analysts over the last few months, they really haven't been bringing the estimates in. So there's not new information here. Right. The estimate for uh, this year is a buck twenty-eight. They earned two oh seven in December two thousand ten, that fiscal year, a buck seventy-six last year. So these estimates, these earnings are coming down, and I think it's a combination of uh, of fewer sets being sold and also a lot of price pressure. Uh, on those sets. But on the other hand, when I look at their net income here, look here, Mo, back in 09, net income was three times EBIT. So since that's impossible, I have a feeling that what happened in here was they either sold some assets. Were acquired. They uh, they did something. They they have royalties that are coming in. They mm-hmm. won some patent suits. You know, I don't know what it is. But uh, even this year, 
EBIT is uh, well below net income. So EBIT taxed would be, I don't know, 800 million, and yet they're showing a billion nine. And I got to believe that's because they're doing something with regard to uh, either cash and interest, because they do have six billion in cash. Which, if you look at the shares, that's about six bucks a share on eleven dollar stock. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, and they don't have much debt here, or something's going on, and people really need to go and do their own work. But these guys have a, a, a great balance sheet, great margins. The analysts are saying they're not going to earn any money, you know, over the next year or two. But I always think that uh, you know, a company like this is they're going to figure something out. The smartphone market's going to be bigger than they think, or some new use will come into play, um, you know, who knows. But uh, this Gorilla Glass has so many fabulous features that my guess is they're going to find uses for it. Yeah, and, I'd, and I'd look at it just because, you know, when you increase your dividend by only almost 40% in the in the face of a declining stock price, you're, you're telling people you're confident in the basis of your business and that you think the market is overreacting. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd take a good... Good hard look at this. Okay. Gorilla Glass. And check out the website because those videos are pretty They're good. on the website, yeah. GLW. Yeah, All right, next up, uh, FlowServe, ticker FLS. Now, I don't know. I was going to look earlier, Mo. We may have talked about this before. Again, what's attractive about this is... Uh, it's up 28% this year. That's what's attractive well, that's about it, man. Attractive they are having to a, you, perhaps, yeah, that's Mo. true. They're having a killer year. But as a value guy, I'm more attracted to... The PE, which is uh, it's 13 times forward earnings. FlowServe, they are again. This is out of their 10K. They provide fluid motion and control products and services, uh, basically providing industrial pumps, seals, valves, and a range of flow management services. So you know any factory that has liquids moving through it which are oftentimes fuel or water or whatever the heck they are they could be product these guys are managing all the pipes the pressures the direction of all that and uh, and those are high value services so um, you know they have a gross margin in the mid 30s EBITDA margin in the mid teens net margin around 10 percent and very stable return on assets in the high single digits the peak was 12, now it's 9. A little bit of leverage gets you close to 20% ROE. Um, debt modest, 20% debt to cap. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's 13 times earnings. It's 10 times EBITDA, which is a little higher than I'd like to pay. But, again, doing the inverse of that, that's a 10% cash-on-cash return, which beats the heck out of what you can get at the bank. So, uh, And I also like the fact, that even though we've been in a very difficult industrial period, um, if you look at their sales, they, of course, did have a down year in 2009. Which you would expect. Yeah, and 10 was a little bit down. But since that time, they have now blown through their old peaks. Mm -hmm. They did uh, $4.5 billion last year, $4.8 this year, and the old peak was 4.4. So they're gaining share and... Uh, and their margin is actually getting a little better. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Do you have anything to, uh, no? No, Flow this, services. Is, this is what happens when we only Vacation. drink half a bottle of wine. Yeah, that's true. Also, I, I'm trying to think if I have any interesting stories from my trip. Um, I will say that uh, we went to Disneyland, Mo, and we Cars Land. 
And you would buy awesome. the stock based on that, or you? Just, I would not buy the stock. You would buy an airline uh, ticket to go there, though. I would go there, and I would, uh, I would stay near the beach, and I would do as much surfing as possible, and then I'd go to Disneyland one day. But uh, we took our kids; they had a wonderful time. But I, unfortunately, I, I wasn't drinking at all, so I have no good ideas. You know. Well, you know, we were talking earlier that <clears throat> Lance Armstrong was just stripped of his titles and. How did he win all those Tour de France's? Doping. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you become a baseball legend? Yeah. Doping. Yeah. How yeah. do you become a tennis hero, a track star? Doping. Reading? No. Well, yeah. and look at look at what happens with us. You take the wine yeah. away, the yeah. performance declines. Yeah. yeah, I, I don't at least in at least in our case, we're up front about yeah. our performance we're enhancing you that we're not substances. Doping and now we're not, and I don't know. I don't know uh I don't even know if the stock's going to go up or down without without more drinking. That's true. I well, can't tell you that. It's too late to go out and buy another bottle, yeah. and your your my your, vodka's all gone. Your next door neighbor drained yeah. all What's of our inspiration. That? I don't know what to make of that. We should go down and down the end of the. All right, one. we've just got one more idea this week, and it's. I mean, I guess next week we just have to get an extra bottle of wine. Start earlier. Um, Microsoft MSFT. And obviously, this is a big cap stock with 37 analysts covering it. I mean, I don't even know where you find 37 guys to cover a stock. I didn't know there were that many firms left. There probably aren't. Some of these guys are just out of their homes, you know, and they cover it for the free stuff. I wonder if you and I are included in that now that we, when we printed it out, they they increased the number. (laughs) Well, maybe you get a free Windows version if you uh, say you're covering it. But here's my thesis on Microsoft. It's seven times EBITDA. That's a 14% cash-on-cash return. It's 10 times trailing earnings. Uh, 15 times next year because, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, it's 15 times last year, 10 times next year. And they've got a bunch of new product coming out. They put up 76% gross margins, 42% EBITDA margins, probably 95% of their customers are repeat now, I'm not a giant Microsoft fan, but I will say, what's the chance that Microsoft can underperform expectations? The fact is, who has any expectations for Microsoft? I mean, since they put out Windows, what have they done? The Zune bomb, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, they Windows, do have the Xbox. The, well, okay, they have Xbox and they have Connect. That's starting to kick in. Yeah. This Windows 8 may be hot. They've taken over the Nokia operating system. So here's my thesis. At 6.7 times EBITDA, if Microsoft screws up all these new initiatives they've been buzzing about, Windows 8, the tiles, the phones, etc., I mean, where can the valuation go? They've got Windows, it's an annuity, it's not going anywhere fast. It may be going somewhere slowly, but I just think that at these margins, at a 15% 15% return on assets, 30% return on equity. They do give you a little yield, 2.6%. It, uh, it it looks pretty well covered. I can't say I'm going to do the math on the fly here, but uh, let's see. Two bucks times eight billion shares is 16 billion, and the net income was 16 billion. So maybe they paid out all the earnings last year. I don't know, but... I will say that if Microsoft is on any kind of roll here with the phone, the Xbox, the Kinect, it's a cheap stock. And if they aren't on a roll, 
you just pick up the dividend and get your money back. Yeah, and they're living under the shadow of Apple, unfortunately, and they constantly are being compared. So it's like investing in the uh, the, the, the poor brother of the, the superstar. And you're right. Maybe because of that, the expectations aren't as high for the stock. And if the valuation from your perspective looks good, from my perspective, they've had two, a bad 2010 from a performance from a stock performance standpoint, a down 2011. This year, the stock's up 18%, so maybe they're coming out of coming that out funk. Of it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, wow, that's it. We've got four new names. We come back from vacation. We don't have quips. We just get right to the stocks. I mean, maybe it's a better show for people. Well, you can let us. I don't know. Next week, I, we'll, we'll be back in form with a, uh, with a little, more, uh, little more Cabernet fueling our analysis. And uh, it'll be a little. It'll be a little earlier. Uh, do you want to do a paging through economic trends, or just miss it this week? <coughs> you think people you. care about that? Yeah, they always care about. Why don't we do that? Trends. Paging through national economic trends. Done. So, of course, we've done absolutely no work on that, including printing it. Yeah, out. we haven't done any of that. So we will have to pause you, and we will be right back. Ding. <laughs> with uh, paging through national economic trends, that exciting highlight of the second half of the show. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So so we printed some stuff out. It's August 28th, 2012. If you go to the National Economic Trends publication at the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank, they have this mo updated through today. Today! You go there right now. That's the amazing thing. So if you want to know what happened to the change in non-farm payrolls as of yesterday, you can go, go to that side. And exactly, you can find yeah. it immediately. So what do you say? Anything interesting going on First here? First page, I, I always come back to this page because it just it fascinates me that interest rates on 10-year treasuries are now somewhere around 1.5%. And, uh, you know, I know we're worried about well, I know we're worried about the federal deficit, and I know that the concern is that if the deficit gets any bigger, sooner or later it's going to crowd out private investment. Sooner or later it's going to cause inflation. Sooner or later interest rates are going to kick up because it, because the credit of the, the the companies or the credit of the country <clears throat> is not going to be as sound. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. When does that happen? When does that happen? If you start, if you're thinking about an inflation play, the rest of the world is in such a chaotic state. We're the safe haven. It's keeping interest rates low. Well, Fed, I think that's helping too. I think it was pretty telling that a year ago, you know, it was a year ago, the United States had a credit downgrade, so the debt of the United States went from triple A to double A plus or whatever they say and of course the predictions were there's going to be a run on the dollar interest rates are going to go up it's going to be terrible but what happened uh interest rates went down uh the dollar strengthened versus every other currency and what we discovered was that uh, you might be double a plus but if that's still the best in the world 
you're still the currency of choice for the uh, wealthy so we're grading, companies and people of the world. We're grading on a curve. Grading on a curve. And we win. But if you're looking at, at some stocks or, you know, in my case, you're looking at increasing your real estate exposure, do you think in three years we are going to see some inflation popping back onto the scene? Well, certainly given the increase in the uh, monetary base, you would expect that. I mean, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, and this is in a companion piece called National, uh, what the heck is it called? Now, this is National, National Monetary, monetary Trends, Trends yeah. and you'll see that, the Federal Reserve balance sheet. But, you know, there was a guy named Milton Friedman who, you know, won a Nobel Prize. He basically said inflation is a monetary phenomenon and so what the Fed has tried to do and Bernanke studying the depression of the 30s is they went back and they you know a lot of academics and I've concluded this just as a student I mean I'm no genius in economics but the idea was during the early part of the 30s um, the money supply contracted and that's what led to the contraction of the economy so what Bernanke has done as a student of those times is he's put the pedal to the metal on the monetary base. And so even though uh, the velocity of money has come in a lot, you're still seeing a little bit of growth in the money supply, not a ton. They're managing it very well. And so as a result, um, you're seeing a continued growth in the economy of a percent or two percent. It's below... In, it's below uh, are right at population growth, so we're not having a lot of success in reducing the unemployment rate, but we're kind of just keeping pace, and I think it's because Bernanke, uh, who you know has that nickname Helicopter Ben because he helicopters money in, but that was because he was a student of the Great Depression, and he felt that the key, and, and this is basically due to Milton Friedman's teachings, that the key was the money supply. So he's kept that growing, and what it took, given the decline in the velocity, was this enormous increase in purchases by the Fed of, of bonds, thereby injecting money into the economy. And I'd have to say, you know, it's, it's working. It is. You're seeing unemployment rate gradually, mm -hmm. gradually improve slightly. But again, that comes back to my, my question, which is, at some point, this should turn into some inflationary pressures. It could. It could. There's no sign of that right now. And the... Uh, the people who have opinions on this would argue that it's because we still have a lot of excess capacity. So while you expect some inflation, um, and we may get some very soon in, in, in the oil sector. I heard a guy talk today about how day rates in the Gulf of Mexico are going up a lot. So you'll have your pockets. But generally, there's so much excess capacity in the economy, and, and demand is coming down a little bit per capita that... There's no, uh, people can't get price, and without price increases, you don't have inflation. Short term. So that's what seems yep. to be happening. Yep. What I would uh, note on this page is, uh, let's see, what do I have here? Um, well, first I'd note on page uh, five, um, there's an index called the Institute for Supply Management uh, Index, and it's a survey of manufacturers to say, are your orders going up or down? Uh, are more, you know, and, and, and their number is if 50% or more going up, then they have, a, you know, 50 would be even. 50 going up, 50 down. 55 is 55 up, 45 down, etc. Well, that uh, series has gone to 50% even, which means sort of neutral, 
on industrial production and that would sort of tie in with what we're seeing here on the bottom of page five the inventory to sales ratio and so inventories in manufacturing have been rising uh, pretty meaningfully during 2012 here and so as a result what happens because there's so much uncertainty is that manufacturers step back a little bit on manufacturing so you're seeing a little stutter step here in uh, industrial production in employment things like that that you know at this point you might argue are just you know a temporary phenomenon that the the core uh, growth of the economy is still you know a little better but the most recent data suggests that we're getting a, another little blip in that. And yet, and yet, not to jump too far ahead of you, later on we're going to come to a, a chart called um, housing starts and new home sales. And um, you know, if you look at that, it's on page 15. Those those stats have been incredible for 2011 for 2012. It's it's pretty much going straight up. Yeah. So if that right now is a bigger driver of our economy than the manufacturing sector, which I suspect it is, yeah, that would argue that even if we have a little bit of a hiccup or a hesitation on the manufacturing side, that still shows that we're 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 slowly you know slogging yeah. our way through to a recovery. Well, I also saw an S&P Case-Shiller index report today and evidently um all the housing indexes or indices around the country um have been up since June in every sector. So there is some kind of bottom and there are some arguments that the uh gap between normal employment rates and the rate we're at now is just a lot of construction people that are out of work because we were building too many homes and you know it takes a long time for a construction person to learn a new skill so either housing's going to come back and they're going to be put to work or you know by well, they're all going to become fund managers yeah. because you don't need any real skills to do Absolutely. this and so we're going to see a big inflow of it's an, it's an internet course of and, new people. And all that. yeah so uh let's see this stuff doesn't change that fast the other thing i'd note on the bottom of page nine there's a chart here called compensation per hour and this is important to those of us that get compensation. I know that many don't, unfortunately. But during 2011, as you could see here, Mo, there was nothing happening, no growth in compensation per hour outside the first quarter. But here in 2012, we ran at a 5% rate in the first quarter, uh, nearly a Three four, and change. Yeah, three, three plus. And there's not a third quarter number, but it looks like the trend in compensation, anyway, is uh, is getting a bit better. So that's good news. And your bonus isn't in there, which will probably push it up even higher. Uh, well, we'll see. You know, bonuses in our world are dependent on uh, performance. And, uh, you know, the market, who knows? There's so much uncertainty, uh, particularly as we approach this fiscal cliff that, I'm not counting on anything in that regard. And we're also seeing a lot of, uh, I think, holdback corporations in capital spending, hiring, because, again, we don't know what's going to happen in January to the tax rate and, and uh, long-term incentives. So, uh, and you and I, I mean, we meet a lot of company management teams. They're all holding Sit, back yep, a little bit. Sitting on the sidelines, right and, and you can't blame them. No, you can't. Let's see. Oh, you got anything else? I well, have... I, I, I was gonna, I was gonna, I'm jumping ahead of you a little yeah. bit, but you know, there's a there's a picture on page 17, and I'm not, a, I'm not a tea party guy, but this, this is an amazing, amazing graph. It shows total federal debt as a percentage of GDP. Yeah, and scary. In right. in 1988, our total debt was 
50% of our GDP, 50%. Yeah. And it was back down around 54, 55% of GDP in, in uh, 2002. And, uh, you know, kind of hung around the 50 to 60% level until 2008. Yeah. We are now at almost 100%. Our, our federal debt is almost 100% of our GDP. Um, this only goes back to 1988, but I have to believe that that's unprecedented. I, don't, I would love to see what it was at the, uh, at during the, the Depression. But um, if, uh, if the Tea Party ever needed one single graph... <coughs> To galvanize their uh, to galvanize their base and to recruit more people. That's the chart. So all you Tea Party guys out there, go to the website, go to page seventeen, take a look at that graph, have a tattooed on your arm, because uh, that's what you guys are all about. And I guess when I look at it, I, I, I my sympathies. Well, the other thing I think that makes that relevant is simply that the economies that are getting into trouble, who don't have the freedom to just print money. I mean, when you're the reserve currency, you can print money all day long and, and you know, de- deflate the debt away and all that. We have that uh, great advantage as the reserve currency. But in Greece, you know, their currency is getting devalued. They're going to get kicked out of the euro. The, the value of... Uh, their new currency, the uh, drachma, is going to be half of the euro. They're all going to lose half their money and whatever they own. And I think it's worth noting that their debt to GDP was about 1.3 when that all started to happen. Yeah. So um, the only thing that's protecting us really is that we are the economy of last resort. We're the currency of last resort. But I note there's other economies out there. They're growing. They're stable. And uh, and their 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 call letters are C H I N A, and uh, you know if they start moving away from the dollar and other people follow, you know then you start to have some real concerns. There's there's no sign of that right now exactly, but I will say that uh, if there are, we're, we start to have a little a little more risk in the economy. Uh, all right, well I'm paging through here. Uh, what do I got? I'm at the end. Do you have anything else, Mo? No, I'm reading the footnotes. All right, footnotes. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is our entire action-packed show for August 28, 2012. Thanks for listening in uh, to another uh, 40 minutes with the value, guys. See all our caveats, disclosures, indices to past shows. we got five years of shows out there indexed by ticker. We've also put up a new podcast that's simply called value guys stock clips so if you don't like all this sort of random chatter that mo and i do if you go look for that it just gets right to the discussion about stocks but see all that at www.thevalueguys.com so long everybody have a good week mm-hmm.